Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are Savage Streets and Sudden Death from 1985. Because, like, that title wouldn't tell you anything otherwise. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Oh, and there's porn on here. Oh, that's good. Isn't this just a little website to double up on? Oh, Jesus. The only thing is that it's like you have to download them. So I like that it's like, hey, download this, and then related films. Oh, all porn pictures. Movies that start with the word blood. There's blood. There's blood. There's blood and guts. Blood and black lace. Blood and donuts. Blood and lace. Blood and roses. Blood and sex. Blood angel. Blood beat. Good lord. There's blood least two. Blood for Dracula. Blood freak. Blood frenzy. Blood gnome. Blood guardian. Blood harvest. Blood hook. Blood Lake. Two different movies named Blood Lake. I take that back. Three movies named Blood Lake. Blood Legacy, Blood Link. This is going to take way too long. Yeah, you're probably not going to get through all of these movies. Let's love uh, Blood. Oh, we'll get through them. He'll just be like 90 when he's done. Here I'm done watching Naughty Nurses 15. It was still just porn. You guys should probably, uh, if you guys want to see a what appears to be some sort of chipmunk eating a human eyeball, then you just have to Google Rise of the Animals poster. Oh, yeah. I was looking at the movie list, and then I got distracted with this magical website. Yeah. So, I don't know if you guys saw, but Scream Factory is putting out a munchies slash munchie double feature disc coming up. What a fucking bizarre double feature. <laughs> they have fucking nothing to do with each other. No. The names are kind of similar. Uh, I vote next week we do Rotoscope. Wizards and Lord of the Rings. Alright. Okay. Love, I love me some Rotoscope. I don't know what Wizards is. Did you say don't... Well, calm down. I've never seen it either. I've actually never seen either one of them, so... I mean, for real? For real, you've never seen Wizards before? No. I did buy it on Voodoo because I knew... Because it was, like, on sale, and I knew we were going to do it for an episode, but I still have not watched it. I just... That's fucking weird. (laughs) I would not say that it's weird. In a recent survey, two-thirds of the people asked had never seen it. (laughs) I never even heard of Wizards until a couple years ago. I just, I don't fucking, that's not, 
that can't be a real fucking thing. Like, you're, you're even, like, a film fan. I can understand somebody who's not into movies not knowing the movie and, like... Well, here you go. But for Noah, fuck's sakes. I've also never sat all the way through heavy metal either, so... That's fine. I you, don't know what to tell you. you. You sat down and you've seen parts of it, though, right? Yeah. You're very aware of it. You were just watching it and you were like, oh, I'm not digging this. I gotta go. No, more it was on at a party and I wasn't really paying attention to it. Bakshi! Bakshi! This is the 1977 movie Wizards that we're talking about. I will... Probably. Yeah, it'd be 70. If you search it on YouTube, it recommends the 1975 movie Coonskin to watch alongside it. Coonskin's also boxy, and it's also on the list. Based on the image that shows up in YouTube, but when you when they, for Coonskin, I don't feel we should be doing it. It's too, no, it's super racist. That's well, that's why that's why we're doing. Considering I'm looking at the images of wizards on IMDb, and there's a giant swastika in one scene. Oh, it's helpful. Looking at pictures, because that, that swastika is a spoiler. Well, then IMDb shouldn't put it up there. And it doesn't really... It's out of context. I have no idea what it means. Yeah, but once once the movie gets rolling, you will. And you shouldn't. That's the whole point. Good lord. Alright, we ready to get into some rape revenge movies? I can't believe that. You guys have seen some of Ralph Bocci's movies, right? Oh my god, Jesus Christ. Just a couple. None. Come on. This is None. Insane. I've never seen any of them. I don't know who that is. For, fu- for fuck's sakes. He made. <laughs> ah! uh, Fire and Ice, Cool World, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like... I've seen the animated Lord of the Rings. Cool World? Have you ever seen the movie Cool World? Is that the one where it's like a Baldwin and something interacting with cartoons? Yes. Brad Pitt. Yeah. yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Well, no, I haven't seen it. It's not the actor. Is Noah breaking up for you as well, Brian? I hope so. I think my brain's breaking up. (laughs) (laughs) Fritz the Cat? Have you seen Fritz the Cat? No. Yeah, I saw that, like, back in high school days. Well, I mean... There There was a time where every single good animated movie was Ralph Bakshi. Ralph Bakshi made every good animated. I don't know. A short, a short cartoon called Mini Squirts can't be that good. You're, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus. No feels very adamantly about this. We're filmmakers. He's a fucking genius. Like it because it's it's so. So he was the, you know a 1970s like uh, anti-establishment hippie kind of guy. So all of his movies are super fucking subversive. So they're all, you know, sex and racism and just all, you know what I mean? But it's, he's he's not being racist. He's just throwing racism in your face as hard as he fucking can. So, like, all the characters that are black are clearly, like, you know, exaggerated racist caricatures of black people. Uh, looks like he worked on... 25 episodes of the 1970s uh, Spider-Man cartoon. So, yeah. I, I guess didn't, I, I, I didn't guess, know that. That's super dope. <laughs> I guess I have seen some of it, actually, then. 
that's pretty much it. I don't know. It's just, I just find it, like I said, I, I kind of, like, I would understand normal people not having seen it, but people that are into movies, he's kind of like a big deal. Mm. Is he really? Yes! <laughs> but for, God, for God's sakes! Are you sure? Is he... Is it possibly a big deal, but like in your head, but not out in the real world? <laughs> no! Stress! Qu- quick, describe the first movie. <laughs> uh, I can't live like this anymore. So our first first rape revenge movie of the night, our feel-good topic. <laughs> now that we've got Noah's brain broken. Is, uh... The 1984 Linda Blair star Savage Streets. Uh, this movie is about a high school for uh, really, really stupid people because everybody there is 30 years old. I was, uh, was going to say, is, are they supposed to be mentally handicapped or something? Because not only are they, do they look like they're in their 30s, but the movie really surrounds them all getting ready for the one girl's wedding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they've been held back a lot. Um, because yeah, there one girl's getting married. Uh, the other there's another scene where Linda Blair's hanging out at the local club, and they just freely serve her alcohol because you know don't even bother to check an ID or nothing. So she's obviously like in her thirties. Um, so I feel like this movie is sort of set in the same world as like class of 1984, because there's like this band of ruffians that just runs around and just does whatever they want. Uh, they almost run over Linda Blair's little sister who is deaf and to sort of pay them back they end up stealing they commit Grand Theft Auto and steal the punk's car and then trash it to which then they get mad and start figuring out ways to extract revenge which apparently one of them is to come to the high school to beat up one guy that owes them either coke and or money uh, then decide while they're there to uh, horribly, horribly rape Linda Blair's deaf little sister. And uh, Linda Blair decides, I'm going to figure out who did this and I'm going to pay him back. And then eventually, uh, unbeknownst to her, it's the gang that she stole the car from. But then they start being dicks, and this one girl cuts one of the dude's face in an altercation at said club from earlier. And then they pay her back by literally body slamming her off of an overpass onto the concrete below. It's it's pretty much what the Ultimate Warrior's finishing move was, but when you do yeah. it off a bridge, it has a lot more damage. Yeah. For those of you in the nerd know-how, it's called a gorilla press slam, okay? I knew that, but I was trying to just leave it general for everybody. Uh, you know who our audience is. And then uh, Linda Blair corners down the Weasley little high school guy who, again, is like 35 but still like a pledge to this this gang of ruffians uh, who he is so badass that he dare not wear his gang clothes around the house or his dad will yell at him. So he has to leave the house and then change in an alleyway. Um, Linda Blair corners him. He... Uh, he uh, gives up the rest of the gang because he doesn't agree with their their rough lifestyle. And so Linda Blair goes on a killing spree with a crossbow 
Well, she's turning the boy's throat. A little. Yeah. I would, I would give up my friends, too. <laughs> uh, so what do we think of Savage Streets? Doug, was this a first-time watch for you? Yeah. Yeah, this was a first-time watch for me. I'm surprisingly unfamiliar with Linda Blair's oeuvre. Um, <laughs> she's very famous for this movie for one specific reason, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Uh, my my initial reaction to this movie was, "Wow, like <laughs> kind of a lot going on." It's there is a like, lot going on. I feel like you used the wrong tone of voice when saying "Wow." <laughs> it was just there was a lot going on. I was confused from much of the movie about whether acting this bad could not possibly deliver good good dialogue or whether the dialogue is so bad that there's no possible way to be a good actor in the film um that was an issue for me now you said that after watching our next film first yeah all right standing by it um like okay so every line of dialogue is shit and every attempt at a joke is horrible and not in that like cheesy way where they're intentionally making bad jokes, but it's just like every line of dialogue is garbage. The acting, there's not a single example. Well, there's one example of reasonably good acting. Everything else is terrible. Now, then when it gets to the violence, though, it's that a lot of it is that fun 80s violence that I really get a kick out of. Mm. Problem is it takes way too long to get there. <laughs> and the other problem is the brutal rape scene that happens mm-hmm. with the deaf girl trying to scream for help, but she's deaf and mute, so she can't. And the close-up on her face when she's penetrated for the first time. And it's... I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, it's well done. It has no business being in this movie at all. Ouch. It stands out so much from the rest of the movie, and this film just does not earn that level of brutality. Um, I mean, that's my initial reaction. <laughs> we could discuss some of the more specifics as we go through. Hey, Doug, a little down on this movie. Uh, so, a little down on this movie, yeah. Counter Counterpoint, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> other, other than the fact that the brutality of the rape scene is... Uh, at odds with the rest of the film. <laughs> I, I will agree with that. Although I wouldn't take it out because uh, Linnea Kubelik's acting is so fucking good that taking it out would be a crime against her career. It's but, so weird because her acting is not only way too good to be in this movie and it contradicts everything else that's going on, but it's like way better than anything else I've ever seen her do. I would hit it out of the park on the first try, and it's like, eh, nothing was ever as good. But as as far as the rest of this movie goes, who gives who gives a fuck that the acting's bad? It's fucking great eighties, delicious popcorn munching garbage. Just there is a goddamn fist fight in a women's shower, like to kick the movie off. They're like, fuck it, let's. And one of them's wearing a white bra and panties, and the other is wearing a white shirt with no bra underneath it, magically, while fighting in the shower. I, I like that you bring that up, but you don't mention the, like, seven 
completely naked girls just standing behind them, two of whom just start fighting halfway through the scene for no reason. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were like, if we're ever going to get a job in acting, we really need to chew up the scenery back here. <laughs> Slap me, bitch. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. You just, they just scroll by and there's these two naked chicks are just like pulling each other's hair for no reason at all. But, but I just... Is I love exploitive garbage, and this movie is fucking just exploitive garbage. Like the first third of the movie is a sexy exploited, <laughs> and then the middle bit is like uncomfortably violent exploitive, and then the end is over the top violent <laughs> exploited. Which I love all three of those things, and I get all three in one movie. <laughs> Plus, Linda Blair without a shirt on. Mm-hmm. And which, golf clap. <laughs> uh, it pains me to say it, but I agree with Noah on this one. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I just really enjoy this movie. I don't know why. Uh, it's just, again, complete just nonsense, but it's good nonsense. Plus, she, she kills a bunch of people with a crossbow, which is fucking I, awesome. I can't say it's not. Like, the ending is definitely fun to watch. The last, whatever it is, 15 minutes where she's stuck. Like, she goes home and does, like, the Rambo thing where she suits up and puts on her, like, killing clothes. And then she goes out. I like the fact that she just goes and buys a crossbow because we saw the crossbow earlier when yeah. they were. Their idea of a bachelorette party for the one that's getting married is they go window shopping and then stop for ice cream, um, which is kind of funny. But. When they were window shopping, they just saw a crossbow, and then like, well, the only thing that upset me was that there wasn't better use of the bear trap. I thought that was I was really excited about the bear trap. Mm. But yeah. you know, when they when they saw those things in the window, I'm like, the whole movie, I'm waiting for them, and I feel they should have gotten to them quicker. So when main bad guy has an arrow sticking out of each one of his knees, yeah. Is all that's going through you guys' head is the scene from fucking Ace Ventura 2 where he's got the spears in his legs? <laughs> well, it will be if I ever watch this movie again. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I can ever... Every time she shoots in the leg, all I can see him going, ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> And Tommy, that, that grill press slam off the uh, overpass wasn't pretty awesome. That was pretty good. <laughs> got a really their their wet thud uh sound effect of her hitting the ground's pretty brutal too. <laughs> I like it. And I like that they completely set it up like, okay. Uh we forgot to mention she's also pregnant, which is why she's getting married. Um and with no like that was unnecessary. Well yeah. It's a, it's the whole, the whole wedding plot line was unnecessary and it just <laughs> it it feels like somebody had that in there and then they're like like a producer was like we should make them high school kids to attract a younger crowd and they just well we're not taking out the marriage plot line that's staying like <laughs> fine 35 year old high school students getting married even though she hasn't graduated yet i guess yeah so they cut to her picking up her wedding dress and then trying it on and like, oh, doing the whole like oh my god it looks so good it looks so awesome i can't wait so excited to be married and then she like leaves with the the box in her hand, and of course they chase her down and then just throw her off the overpass. It's like, holy shit. Like, we literally just saw her in her wedding dress, and now she's just a red mark on the pavement. And even though he's an unlikable character, the little uh, 
bitchy gang member who's having the second thoughts. Him yeah. sitting there going, "You promise!" <laughs> As he throws her off, it's actually pretty intense. You're like, <laughs> and when he throws the little hissy fit on that bridge, he's like, "You promised not to kill her. I hate you guys!" And he's like screaming, "Like I hate you! I hate you! I hate you!" And he's storming off. And I'm like, "Why didn't they get him to play one of the teenage girls? Because he's <laughs> doing a really good invitational one right now." <laughs> and I'll tell you what. You know what the truth is? I have seen a uh, teenage guy behave that way, and that was really good acting because I've actually seen somebody lose it like that. <laughs> <sighs> um, <laughs> since we did talk about the shower scene, I will I will say uh, locker room scene. I think even better than the locker room scene from Carrie. Man, it's a that is a whole lot of people meet <laughs> in one shot. They get a lot of people meet in that shot. Yeah. There, there, there are a lot of. Objectively speaking, thirty to forty year old women <laughs> naked in that high school locker room. <laughs> yeah, just scroll past an entire entire room of people showering, and then you know, pan over to the lockers to have your little exposition scene, and then as Noah said, <laughs> girl fight in the, in, the, in the shower. I did like that they pan past all the naked girls, and then when they get to all the actual like actors that have speaking lines in the movie, none of them naked. <laughs> it's just <laughs> they just brought in porn stars or something to fill those gaps. Well, then there's Doug's favorite scene, as noted on Instagram, where they're shaking down this guy that owes them money, and they grab his girlfriend and just rip her shirt off. Yeah, I'm assuming stripper for that for that role. That makes, you know, that makes sense. You know what the funny thing is? For a long time, I was always like, you know what? 80s movies really go over the top to show you who the bad person is. They're like, look at how bad this bad person mm-hmm. is. But now that I'm like rewatching things and uh, everybody's getting a little more sensitive to the plight of women, you're like, oh shit, they really had to go that uh, over the top because like Bankman and Ghostbusters is a total fucking rapist. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to be like, no, no, no. Way worse than Frankman. <laughs> it is one of those things in, in this movie where it's like all these characters in the background are just these creepy, disturbing people. Like, the principal is just like every time Linda oh. is in his office, he brings up her body to her. He's like, yeah, I don't know why you get into fights at school. You have such a nice body. Why would you get into, why would you get into a fight in the locker room? She's yeah, like, basic, basically insinuating all you gotta do is suck some rich dick and you'll have it made. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is interesting watching, like, uh, the group, the the I don't know, what the fuck was I calling them? The ruffians, when they're at the uh, the club, and they'll just grab a waitress and pull her onto their lap and just yeah, especially molester. Like, and you can tell this is not the first time. So she's just like, God fucking damn it! Why do we got to deal with this bullshit? Like in her body language. And then when the girl that's getting married is coming back from the bathroom, and the same thing happens to her. She's just like, okay, are you done yet? So she can just like move on with her day. Yeah. It's like, ooh. It's, yeah, it's upsetting. It's, you know what I mean? It's, again, in this type of an exploitation movie, you don't, you try not to take it too seriously. 
Mm-hmm. You're just like, obviously, they're not portraying the real world, so they're not suggesting that people do or should act this way, but it's... Yeah, it's, it's just upsetting watching these things in today's day and age. And they get crossbowed nice and good, so that kind of makes up for it. That helps. Yeah, that helps. Like, when the one crossbow goes through the guy's, like, uh, right through his neck, you kind of think, like, good, like, you had that coming. I'm glad, oh, totally. I'm glad I get to watch you have that sticking out of your neck right now. Do, do you think in the movie it was necessary to show Linda Blair's character smoking about a hundred fucking times <laughs> to set up the fact that she had a lighter in the hardware store? The funny thing is that every time she is like about to get in trouble by a teacher or something, she lights up a smoke to prove how badass she is. And that was like the most realistic character trait I've ever seen in my life. Like a teenage girl in the 80s would definitely try to prove how tough they were by smoking. And let's just say you guys are a lady, right? And you're gearing up to go murder a bunch of guys. Do you, A, take the time to perm your hair, right? And really tease it out. You got to have that big hair for your murder spree. And two, put on spiked high heels. The high heels. High heels is what I focused on. I'm like, those aren't sensible killing shoes. This is ridiculous. (laughs) The whole outfit didn't make a lot of sense. Like, she was going to a place that sold crossbows. She could have bought some more appropriate clothing there. You shouldn't clothes shame her, Doug. It is almost uh, superhero-esque. Because she almost looks like like Black Cat from the comics, kind of. Yeah. Kind of got that zipper down the front uh, cat suit thing going on. I dig it. Plus, once again, Lynn Blair. There is like a, a point you're reaching, though, if we're going to discuss fashion in this movie. Like, Did anybody else notice that the girls were dressed like the lady gang from like Greece? Like, that's, for some reason, they all had matching pink jackets and shit. Like, was that a thing in the 80s? I don't think so. I'll I'll tell you one thing that this movie does that's a little odd compared to a lot of other rape revenge movies and uh, and I suppose in a way it's not true because the deaf girl's the one who ends up getting it but typically in a rape revenge movie they go out of their way to be like you know in no way does this person deserve to have anything bad happen to them and then they get raped which is the worst thing you can do you know but in this one, they're kind of like, look at this group of girls. They're skanks, they're obnoxious, they steal a car. Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely got that slasher element to it of, like, they're being punished for their ill behavior. I mean, if they hadn't stolen that car. Because, uh, like, okay, so those punks are obviously dicks, right? Mm. But, like, they almost bumped into her on the street. Nobody got hurt. They apologized. They were kind of assholes about it, but eventually they apologized. And then you steal their car and leave it full of garbage to teach them a lesson. That's that's not cool, man. Like, you know what I mean? That if they hadn't done that, none of the rest of this movie would have taken place. Yeah, which is it's odd. Like, it's just odd for a rape revenge movie for them to do something like that because then it almost feels like the filmmakers blaming them. Well, it's in a weird way, though, they're blaming like the the main group of girls for what happens to the little sister, which was the deaf one, and she's like, she's just kind of going along for the ride. Like she's meant to be 
like if they're in high school in their mid to late 30s then she's only like 25 26 and she's just starting high school so so she's meant to be younger than the rest of them right so i think the idea is like their ill behavior ends up coming back on her which is but then all that kind of gets dropped when it becomes this fantasy action movie at the end right but i think initially i think that's the idea is that because they pushed they the negative consequences fell on her not saying it's their fault that these guys did what they did it's just you know careful where you step kind of thing i feel like they also took every route to make Linnea Quigley's character like the most sympathetic character ever it's like she's the younger sister she dresses like all like conservative or whatever yeah like does not like fit in with the rest of the crowd at all uh father just died uh is deaf and mute and of course this horrible thing happens to her she's all sweet and innocent like when somebody asks her if she's ever been kissed before like the only man that's ever kissed her is her dad it's like and not like in the way that some exploitation movies would treat it more of like a sweet innocent thing they also do that weird 80s thing of everyone who wants to insult the deaf girl calls her retarded (laughs) yeah yeah and when you want to upset the guys you call them a faggot it's like that's thrown around a lot in this movie yeah and it's jesus even the principal does it i know exactly You're just like, I don't know, man. Because I don't even think, even in the 80s, principals didn't call people that in the middle of the school. Maybe in their personal time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, something a principal would do. But Principal played by that guy who always plays the angry father figure in movies. I know. I went looking. I'm like, what do I know him from? And I opened up like his IMDb, and I'm like, pretty sure i've seen everything on this list (laughs) and i can't picture him in any of these roles but i bet you every time i see him i'm like yeah it's that guy from that other thing it's like yeah what do i know him from oh i know him from everything (laughs) yeah yeah i've seen him a million times Uh, final thoughts on the movie uh liking this movie is the correct way to do it uh and feeling ashamed for liking this movie is the correct thing to feel about it. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't like the uh, the plot, what moves the plot forward, but watching Linda Blair be a badass, I think, is fantastic. Yeah, the movie has a lot of fun moments in it. Mm-hmm. I wish I had watched it maybe on mute. Um, so oh. I hear the dialogue. I think it's I think it's really funny that like the acting's that terrible. Oh, it's that terrible. I think I think Linda Blair's delivery on everything's fucking awful, but she's the only one. Everybody else does an alright job. Oh no, I think it's like I don't think she's any worse than anybody else. I think they're all that bad. That principal guy, he's not terrible. And when he's when he's throwing the f the gay slurs around, yeah. When he's yes, I mean he should, he should, again. I I made it clear at the beginning. Like the dialogue is also a problem. It's not just the acting. It's it's not like a really good actor could have saved this movie. Um, but yeah, I think the principal guy's okay. I think one of the four punks is okay. The I don't know the one that has like sort of the trench coaty thing on and the red hair. Yeah. So, but everybody else is just atrocious. His his name's Red. 
Yeah, so he's got the clever nickname of Red. <laughs> okay. So, it, on the punks thing, were the lead punk and the guy that never wore a shirt a gay couple? <laughs> uh, I think they, that if we're talking about in the real world, if this was a real world, yes. <laughs> yeah, those two guys fucked each other all the time. But, like, in the context of this movie, is that, like, is that their way of being, like, look how crazy we are. We have a gay couple in our movie, but then they raped this girl because they're not all the way gay kind of thing. Is that, is that what happened? Because I was just, I'm just, because they did kiss at one point. Actually, you like, know what? I can further support your hypothesis because he's ordering the other guys to rape the girl, not doing it himself. And when the, the bare chested, uh, Razor Ramon, Want to be guy <laughs> goes goes to get in there. He's like, no, not you, the other one. Oh. So I think you're right. I think there is some uh, serious uh, gay tension. Uh, I mean, it's not really relevant plot wise, but it's interesting that it was thrown in there for this type of interesting. I don't know. All right. Well, me and Noah enjoyed it, Doug. I would Not like so to. Much. I would like to nitpick one more thing because sure. this is just ludicrous. The end of the movie, Linda Blair goes home. Mm-hmm. She takes she takes a bath, and uh, there's a long, like an excessively long shot of her just laying naked in the bath so that Noah can enjoy himself. And then, she, why are you negative on that? They did it. Just I'm not. I'm, I'm, not <laughs> I'm not negative on it. It's fine for an exploitation film to have that shot. But See, I think she's did. most vulnerable, Doug, and she's contemplating her next move. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we got that. We got that actress that people know the name of, and she's willing to take her clothes off to be in our movie. So we'll just make her sit there for a while. Is what it is. But fine. That's not even my point. My point is, she gets up, she leaves the bathroom, she's going to get dressed, and the phone rings, and her mom runs to answer the phone. But her mom clearly just got out of the bath as well so were they just coincidentally showering in different rooms of the house or was her mom like hovering right outside the bathroom and ran in there to take a nighttime bath after linda blair did uh, I, I didn't even pay that close i to the found question. it really distracting i'm like wait linda blair was in the bathtub but then it's the other one that's wet now and still wearing like the towel and stuff so I know it's nitpicking. I know it's red looks real hot right now. Uh, good times. Anyways. Uh, anyway, yeah, anyways, like just to clarify, I do think it's a fun movie to watch. I just think it's objectively terrible. <laughs> we shouldn't try we should not leave people with the impression that it's good. It had some fun moments. Mm. Maybe watch it. It's available for for free on some streaming sites, so just watch yeah. it with a fast forward button in hand. Oh, and I would yeah. say enjoy enjoy the eighties cheese and just, just let it flow over you. Just saying that shower scene. They're like Porky's is our bitch. <laughs> uh. Uh, Noah, since you recommended Sudden Death for this team-up, why don't you tell us what it's about? Sudden Death, Sudden Death. (laughs) Uh, 
This is billed as a rape revenge movie, although I will argue that it's not. Uh, ladies out on a date, having a good time. Uh, two bad guys steal a taxi cab. They meet. She thinks it's a taxi cab. It's not. It's two crazy guys. And they do horrible things to her. She then buys a gun for self-protection. She feels like the cops aren't doing enough. So she decides to go from bar to bar trying to find these guys and in the process finds out that every man in the city is a rapist. <laughs> Pretty much. All of them. Uh, and over and over again, she ends up in situations where she has to defend herself, shoots them with the gun, and wanders off. Uh, according to the news, she's some kind of psycho serial killer. Although... I'm pretty sure she could have justified every one of those <laughs> shootings. It's just be hard to explain. How do you keep getting in this situation? Well, I'm going from bar to bar looking for rapists, and as it turns out, that's way easier than everyone thought. See, my, my interpretation was that she was intentionally getting herself into these situations so that she could kill these guys. See, I don't think so, because I feel like it, even in almost every one of those situations, she gives the person every fucking chance to back off. She doesn't keep goading them on. She gets to the point where she's in danger, and then she's like, okay, we can have sex now, which calms them down long enough for her to grab the gun and fill them full of bullets. Mm. Uh, and then, in one of the oddest twists of a movie in the rape revenge genre... Uh, the day is saved by the man who catches the bad guys in the movies. Which, what the, what the fuck? Although I guess she shotguns the one guy. That I was going to say, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they cut to his partner. It looks like just laying on the hood of his car, swinging his gun around. So. Yep. Yeah, no, yeah, she, he yeah he, but he, was, he had been shot already, right? In the leg or whatever. I don't know. But that's it. In a, in a, in a movie that somehow is completely tone deaf and does a way more sensitive job about a rape victim than almost any 80s movie on the planet. It's it odd. Is, it's it an is, odd thing. Give, I want, I'd like to give, give a different interpretation of the plot. Hmm. So my interpretation of the plot would be that, okay, so up until the point where the initial rape and beating happens, you're correct. Then... I would say instead of her investigating her own crime, which is how Noah took it, I see her as becoming a vigilante killer death wish style, right? Mm -hmm. She's out there looking for these types of men so that she can specifically kill them. And we know that she's doing that because she's not only is she carrying a gun for protection as Noah took it, but she's also doing something to the bullets to make them untraceable. Which I don't really understand that much about bullets, but apparently it's working. And I think the big twist is not the man saves the day. I think the big twist is the police officer investigating her case figures out that she's a vigilante and instead of stopping her, runs with it and helps guide her to the actual people who attacked her so that she can exact her revenge. Yeah, that's kind of more where I was falling with it. And so for me, that's that's a much more interesting film. Like, narratively speaking, it makes a lot more sense to have it be this Death Wish-type movie where the cops are, at the end, kind of playing along with 
the notion of just just let her she's killing bad guys so let her <laughs> i liked that idea i thought the ending sort of set it up as though they were almost partners and we're going to be you know he's doing the investigative side from the legal stance and he's just going to let her kill the guys that maybe they can't catch or whatever i don't know like like i said i maybe maybe the first guy she might have lured in to kill but i after that i feel like that's just not what happens Taxi cab driver, she didn't do that. Like, so he, and then the, uh, the military guy who's all fucked up in the head who she decides not to murder. Yeah. Like, once again, those are, they're all just scenarios where she just happened to be in a really rapey situation and she goes, okay, well, you're trying to rape me, so I'm but, about to shoot you with these bullets. But I guess the question is, does she keep happening to be in these situations or is she putting herself there on purpose? Yeah, that's kind of right. Took it that she was looking up where the like, the crime uh, the crime was the highest in the city, and she was going to these places to see if men would try to rape her. Because then I thought it was weird that she would sort of get to the situation and then let it get to the point where they're like pinning her down and slapping her around before she pulls the gun out. And well, like I said, I think she gives them. She even says it a bunch of times. She's like, "You don't want to do this. Just stop." You know what I mean? It's just weird because she she basically takes it absolutely to the point of where she knows for a fact they are getting ready to harm her, and that's when she kills somebody. Yeah, no, and I agree with that, but I think she is giving them an opportunity not to become her next victim, right? And she does that with the one guy that I guess he's a Marine or whatever. Like, he's aggressively coming onto her she starts threatening him and he's like what the hell like i thought you wanted this and when she realizes that he's not necessarily like he's the he's sort of the only guy that probably never would have raped anyone if he hadn't met her and she doesn't take him out right and i think that's what she's doing with all the other guys is saying like if you walk away you can walk away but if you continue then i'm going to pump you full of these bullets that i made special at home is it? Are they special bullets? See, the thing I took is they were calling her the name of the brand of bullets that she bought. No, the however they're referring to the bullets, it's because she was cutting the top of them with a knife, which they do in '80s movies, and I'm not exactly sure why. From what I understand of my general non-knowledge of bullets in that situation, I think. Uh, I think the I always heard it explained that doing scoring the top of it makes the exit wound bigger. And I think it's because the bullet then like splits when it's when it hits them, so it makes a bigger exit wound, thus oh, so that hurting, would be, hurting them much much more. Yeah, and that would go to the idea that she's out there looking to kill, right? If the gun was yeah. just for protection, she wouldn't be modifying the bullets that way. Mm. And I think I mean within the confines of the movie, I think the main reason she's doing it is so that when the detective finds the bullets, he knows that it's her, right? He knows that she's the one doing these killings because she's got these special bullets. Um, okay, here we go. So, so they gave her like the worst name ever, which was, what was it? The dumb, dumb killer. Yeah. Which so is what they're calling these dumb. bullets. Um, and it says uh, on Wikipedia here, expanding bullets were given the name Dum Dum or Dum Dum, 
without as one word. After an early British example produced the dum dum arsenal near India, there were several expanding bullets produced for this arsenal. God damn, this thing doesn't tell me nothing. Our uh, projectiles designed to expand on impact, increasing in diameter to limit penetration and or produce a larger diameter wound for faster and in in capacitation for this reason they are used for hunting and by some police departments but are generally prohibited for use in war which i think uh if it's war like why so so she's shooting war crime bullets pretty much they say two typical designs are hollow point bullets and soft point bullets so there you go that's your fact of the day on the podcast so yeah so she's totally like purposely making these bullets more deadly yeah and that's i think that's like really relevant to her motivation in when she's going out to these various bars and also like when she's doing her analytics thing where she's trying to track down various rapists and murderers like i don't feel like she's looking for specific people like you wouldn't do that statistically so because this movie is like it's like moneyball for rape like she spends a lot of time in front of a computer analyzing the various trends and stuff to figure out where she's most likely to find people who would commit crimes so i do think she's going to these places putting herself in harm's way intentionally in order to get attacked in order to be able to say hey i was defending myself and had to kill this guy and maybe she's kind of lying to herself about doing that because one thing this movie i think tackles pretty intensely is the concept of like her as a rape victim suffering from this like ptsd and not being able to go back to normal life which i'm sure is true i don't know how accurately it's portrayed in the movie but i think it's actually especially for an 80s movie i think it's actually like a pretty in-depth way to look at this yeah considering her fiance tells her just to get over it and go back to normal yeah he tells her he wants her to forget about it and it's like that's not the right thing to say (laughs) so that's just lead into that other point for like i said part a lot of this movie's kind of tone deaf on a lot of stuff but their actual treatment of the consequences of rape and stuff is surprisingly like enlightened for a 80s movie if, if that makes sense like you know when the police come to question her they kind of show how you know traumatic and awful that line of questioning actually is and the fact that you know the the boyfriend slash husband or whatever doesn't you know just wants it to go away it wants to pretend it didn't happen which is traumatic and the they don't make her while well, while she is a victim they don't she's not a victim through the whole movie she's not like weak or broken like a lot of rape revenge movies are where where you know in those it's like she's stabbed you know what I mean she goes and takes a claw hammer to somebody and we all cheer but in this one it's she's not like that she's calculating she knows what she's doing she, yeah she's actually like a very strong character. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, like I said, it's a, it's, it's surprisingly sensitive to the topic of rape for being a movie with a 
theme song, like sudden death. That theme song is problematic because the opening scenes of the movie when that theme song's playing, I was like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? <laughs> like, this is not an easy movie to find. And if I went through all this effort and I'm now watching a movie with its own 80s theme song with like a synthesizer, I don't know if that's cool. Um, and that, I mean, that all goes away once the actual movie starts, especially with the first attack scene. But it's, a, yeah, it's, it's an issue. One of the other things I thought was interesting about the movie, so I don't know how Brian watched the movie, but I found it on a porn site. That's how I had to watch it, too. Okay. One of you is way happier about that than the other one. Yeah. Well, I didn't mind. I was just kind of like, well, this is awkward that I, that I have to be like, no, no, I'm loading up my movie for this for this podcast. It's not a porn movie, I promise you. Well, What's it about? Oh, a woman gets raped. I promise you it is not a porn movie. It's not porn. It's just porn adjacent. Weirdly enough, way, way less nudity in this movie than in the last movie we just talked about. Almost none. Mm. Like, it's very, very little. And Which is, which is like I said, and, and for the fact that it was uploaded to a porn site, this movie is not super exploitative. Like, I, I mean, I, I still think it is an exploitation movie, but it doesn't roll around in the dirt or anything. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, the nudity, there is nudity in the first attack scene, but that attack scene is very, like, brutal and hard to watch, and it's yeah. not. And it's not like most of what they show on camera isn't the actual rape it's the beating that she takes and just the hardcore punches that she's getting to the like right to the face from the second she gets in that cab and uh you know it kind of starts with those big punches to the face and it ends with when they're done with her they dump her out of the cab and for some reason the the one asshole just gets out and gives her a couple of big kicks and it's like it's difficult to watch like it's the violence is feels very real as compared to like the last movie which I noticed um, in the last movie too. They also give her a couple kicks afterwards. Yeah, and I noticed that they they made it effective without using the typical uh, uh, rape revenge movie trick of lingering. You know what I mean? They don't like leave the camera on it. If if that makes sense, there's lots of editing and cutaways and stuff. It's not like yeah. I spit on your grave where they're like, "No, you are going to watch this." Yeah, and Which, in some ways, I think it's it. I mean, there's different filmmaking styles. This one, I think they handled it well. And I think, like, like those big kicks he gives her at the end, like, it's pretty clear that they just put, like, something there and told the guy to kick it as hard as he can, and they just don't concentrate on the foot, right? But it gives it that much more impact because you can see the actor really just kicking away at something. And it's, I don't know, it, it adds more than having, say, a close-up on her face or something like that and trying to have a stunt woman take those kicks or whatever else they might try. Uh, so I guess, Doug, what did you think of this movie overall? Uh, I was pretty impressed with it, to be totally honest. There are issues with the acting, um, specifically the uh, the cop character. I found him to be problematic. I looked there him is... up. Apparently he's a big soap opera actor. Okay, well that, that seems right to me. Um, <laughs> the um, I found it 
Okay, so there's a scene where she eventually, like her and the cop eventually get together. And I found that very, uh, very over-the-top 80s lovemaking scene that was just <laughs> did not fit the rest of the grindhouse feel of this movie. Um, but what are you going to do? It was like 1985. That's just how things went. Um, and yeah, I, th- I thought the violence was handled really well. I thought most of the kill scenes worked really well in the stalking scenes. Um, thought it was. I liked the way they handled the impact that the rape had on her life, but I thought it was a little bit misleading the way they portrayed rape. And I thought because the movie takes such a kind of serious tone that they really portray rape as like a crime of convenience. Like these guys sort of just find themselves and oh alone with this girl and maybe I'll just rape her and it's they make it about they make it about the sex if this is a weird thing to say like every time she's in a position she's about to be attacked she's able to get the guy to back off by saying well if you don't hit me anymore I'll do it voluntarily and that's a dangerous misconception about rape is that it's about the guy trying to get laid and it's not it's about the power and the violence um so I think that they should, they kind of make a mistake in the way it's portrayed. But overall, I think like as an exploitation movie, this this does really well. This movie handles it really well. I like the plot twist at the end where the new boyfriend slash investigating police officer who should definitely have declared a conflict of interest and walked away from the case. Um, I like the way he kind of joins her side. I thought that was a, an interesting twist that I didn't see coming. And, you know, it's a Death Wish ripoff. I actually think I liked this movie more than I like Death Wish. Oh, what about you, Noah? What did you think? Uh, I'm I'm going to attempt to say uh, a thing and make it sound as least gross as possible. I don't know how to say that. So, uh, if you were introducing somebody to the rape revenge genre. <laughs> <laughs> and you're worried that they can't handle the griminess of some of the the bigger hitters, you know, the last houses on the left and the I spit on your graves and, and things of that nature. This movie is a great introduction into the Rainbow genre. It's a nice soft entry. I don't think you want to use the term nice soft entry right now. I did not think about that until it came out and I retract that statement. (laughs) I do see what you're saying. Like I said, I was trying to say something not horrible, but no matter how you say it, it sounds horrible, so it's probably horrible. Yeah, I think think what you're saying is that the the on-screen violence is not as sort of over-the-top as it is in those examples you mentioned. I was going to um, say, and it's not just it's not just the the violence; it's the overall tone of it too. It's not as like, uh, like I said, I it's, I spit on your grave is always the easiest one to come to because it's the. Is it the easiest one to come to? Well, <laughs> God, I hope, <laughs> dude, you're fucking gross. But uh, it, just because of, you know the br- the brutality of it, but but the brutality of it's not everything about that movie. It's the. Uh, Aggressiveness. Typically, a rape revenge movie. Once, once the the pivotal moment of the the rape happens, the rest of the movie is oppressive. You know what I mean? There's like a darkness and a heaviness to them 
that yeah. pervades the genre, and that's part of it because you're not supposed to be comfortable watching it. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Is like this is the only rape revenge movie I can think of that has a scene where the victim goes sailing with a friend. Um, yeah, yeah, goes, exactly. She goes window shopping. And her friend is like, I want to go in here and buy some antiques. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to keep walking on my own. And that's when she runs off and buys the gun. Makes, uh, makes passionate love to her new boyfriend with an 80s soundtrack playing in the background. You know, just like, these are things that don't normally get to happen in these types of movies. Well, that's why, like, you kind of, at the beginning of the conversation, said it might not qualify as a rape revenge movie. And I... I think you might be right. This is more of a vigilante movie. Yeah, it's a vigilante movie that I, I, I would I would argue that maybe it's one of those weird ones that defies genre a little bit. Just because they're those two types of movies are so close together that this one may be something in between them rather than being either one of them. Yeah. Because she definitely like again it I guess it depends on how you interpret the movie. But I don't think she's just seeking revenge on the people who attacked her. She's going after whoever she can get her hands on. And with access to all that analytical information that she has, she presumably could keep going and take out however many men are in that city because every single one of them is a rapist, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's also there's this weird, once again, this positivity is the wrong word. <laughs> But I'm going to use it because this is language, and language isn't perfect. <laughs> but there is this positivity to her uh, vigilanteism that is kind of like her reclaiming power. And once again, most of the time, if you're in a rape revenge movie, it's not about reclaiming power; it's about fucking destroying the other thing. And that's usually what it is. Like, there's no redemption at the end. You know, the person who was the victim at the beginning doesn't become healed. They become a fucking monster. They just happen to be the monster that's destroying the thing that you hate more than the, the action of it happening, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, she does sort of end the movie as an action hero. It's The ending of the movie is similar to, like, Doc Saints or something like that, where she's now this established vigilante that people will support, and it's it's interesting that throughout the movie we see that the you know the police and society in general are not that interested in stopping the rapists, but when she starts killing people, we start you know like the news reports and the police in the background and all that are all very interested in finding out who's doing that, and I think it's it's setting up it's proposing a world where it's like, well, you have to do this. Somebody needs to go out there and take care of this situation and now we have our hero who can do it. This character who, you know, was a normal human being became a victim and is now the hero. Um, I thought the movie was really boring. And I think part of the problem <laughs> is I watched both movies today. Um, so that means I totally watched uh, Savage Streets at work today. Uh, the coworker I shared office with was gone, so I had the whole office to myself. So it was a lot more, a lot less weird to like sit and hope that like they don't look up and see that I'm watching fucking Savage Streets, especially during the shower fight. Um, so I think then and then I came home and watched this movie. I feel like just 
the juxtaposition did not did not help. Yeah, I'm I'm very glad I watched Savage Street second. Because while I I liked this movie and I don't I I, I kind of agree with Brian. I think that it's it lacks uh, I don't know, excitement, punch. It's it's a slower paced movie, right? Yeah. We spend a lot yeah. more time with our character actually being a human being, whereas Savage Streets is a eighties exploitation movie, right? Yeah. It's like it's like a slasher movie. If you go too long without something happening, you're gonna get really, you know, bored, whereas um, Sudden Death is more of a it's almost a drama film, really, about about this vigilante woman who's you know, stalking the streets or whatever. So it's they're very different movies considering we put oh, them for sure. Faux show. That's why I said that I had watched Savage Streets first and immediately came home and watched this movie. So they did not uh, compare well to each other. No, they're not a great double bill. We, no. we failed at putting together our list. I would definitely recommend. See, I would even say you could watch both movies. I drastically preferred this one. I would watch them on different days for sure. And when you're in different moods, although sudden death is a hard one to watch, like we're recommending it to people, but we're also recommending you go to a porn site to see it because we don't know how else to get it to you. The laser disc is available on Amazon. I don't know if it's ever gotten a DVD release. And we're also telling people like if you want a deep emotional response to a woman getting raped, this is definitely a movie for you. Well, I mean, I know we cater to an exploitation audience here, but at the end of the day. This is a this is a well made movie that tackles a tough subject in a pretty good manner, um, with you know some problems that come with low budget filmmaking, such as acting and things like that. Yeah, I I think I know what the problem with this movie was. The reason why the in which the pairing of this movie was because I hadn't seen this one either. I just picked a rape revenge movie that I hadn't seen before. <laughs> this is how far down the list you had to go. Yes, this is how far I had to go. The one that I never, I was like, I've never heard of this. I thought Jean-Claude Van Damme was in this. Well, when you recommended it, I'm like, should we pair it up with the Jean-Claude Van Damme one? Just Maybe no. Jean-Claude Van Damme movie is pretty much a remake of this. It's not. They're very, very different. No, no that would have no, been, been a worse double, double feature. <laughs> but, uh, but I was pretty surprised. Like, and I, and I see the, pro- the problem is, is it's, and despite the difficulty of us pinning down the genre this movie falls squarely under the purview of the subject matter it almost should be an exploitation movie or it should be a very 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 well made movie by a respected director who can handle sensitive subject matter in a very respectful way does that make sense and it doesn't really do either of those things and so what you end up with is a good but inappropriate movie, which makes it awkward to watch. Yeah, I, I yeah. can see all that. So the big question is, did your girlfriend enjoy watching this, Noah? I did not have her watch either one. <laughs> Although she did, she did catch the, the last like uh, 45 minutes of Savage Streets. Mm. So luckily, it was post-shower scene and such, so I didn't have to be like, mm, well... <laughs> Okay, I know they're in high school, but they're in their forties. Yeah, they're playing teenagers, but they're old. They're so old. 
<laughs> I just wanted to walk in while you're watching Sudden Death, and you're like, trust me, Jean-Claude Van Damme is totally going to fight a mascot soon. Just hang on. <laughs> just hang on. He, he makes the, the save of a lifetime in a hockey game in the middle of an action movie because Canada. <laughs> Don't play Canada for that one. That movie's set in Pittsburgh. You know it was for the Canadians. We all do. It's an American movie in an American town starring yeah, a Belgian guy. You think they made this specifically for Canadian audiences, though? Listen, if you are in St. Louis at a St. Louis Blues game cheering, you're a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way we see things in this United States. Well, I'd rather you think we're Canadian than the way you treat other people. So. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Hey guys, this is Eric in Ann Arbor. I uh, managed to resist your guilt trip last week and not send anything in, but uh, you actually went ahead and name-checked me this week, so I feel obligated to send something your way. Uh, enjoyed your uh, cartoon episode with the Transformers and G.I. Joe. By the way, that's my cat, Pickle. He says hi. I coincidentally ended up watching a children's movie myself this past week. I don't know why I thought of it, but I thought about this movie I used to uh, get shown at my elementary school. A Disney movie called The Cat from Outer Space. Uh, and I watched it again this week and found it surprisingly entertaining. Uh, I learned that you can actually make a cat the main character in a movie just by filming it being a cat and putting a voiceover with a lot of reverb on it. So I might try that with pickle hair. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Also, Brian was mentioning that he enjoys time travel movies. Uh, so I was going to recommend a couple of lesser known ones. Uh, one of them is a low-budget one called Primer. So if you hadn't seen that, I recommend checking it out. Also, uh, there's a Spanish-language movie uh, directed by Nacho Vigilando. The movie I'm recommending is Time Crimes. It's another good time travel movie. So if you haven't seen any of those, check them out. And last but not least, I was wondering uh, if you'd heard the news coming out of Comic-Con. Uh, remember when used to be the last horror cast and uh you started doing a new segment about buffy the vampire slayer and i went ahead and recorded a bumper for it uh because i was enthusiastic about it and then that rat bastard scott went ahead and quit the show and ran away to live in the woods or whatever the fuck he's doing now by the way tell him i said i uh <laughs> so anyway i was wondering if you heard the news that they're rebooting buffy the vampire slayer uh joss whedon will be executive producer uh, but uh, apparently it's going to be set in the same universe, but now with a new main character who will be a Slayer of Color. So, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that, and whether you plan on hunting Scott down and changing him to a chair and making him watch that and do a podcast on it with you. So, anyway, love the show, guys. Keep up the great work. Talk to you later. Uh, so, as you just heard, that was Eric and his cat Pickle, who would not shut up in the background. <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember what he said at the beginning. Oh, he watched uh, the cat from outer space. Did anybody watch that space one? Is super dope. 
I don't think I've ever seen it. I know of it. Like, I remember other kids liking it when I was young, but I was, like, busy watching First Blood over and over again, so I never watched kid movies <laughs> when I was a kid. I remember watching it, but it's, I only saw it once, and it was forever ago, so I don't even remember anything about it. I do like his idea of just filming a cat being a cat and then putting voice over it and making it into all sorts of different movies. Because with green screen technology, you can make a cat be anywhere. Hmm. Um, and then the news about Buffy. Uh, and of course, Eric had to bring up the fact that when we were on the last Horrorcast, he recorded the bumper for us because we were going to make Scott watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer all the way through. Yeah. And, and uh, after Scott, two episodes. Scott lasted way at one. <laughs> yeah, after like two episodes of that, Scott quit completely. So. Uh, okay when what year was the first Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie the movie the movie I think it was 93 yeah something like that 92 93 that area trying to think of I've decided to impose a new rule about remakes 35 years if if they're fucking remaking something and it's not at least 35 years old I'm not watching it fuck you okay well this is not this is not a remake though yeah it's like a it's a reboot supposedly they're saying set in the same universe possibly which yeah. is interesting because of how that universe was left off yeah oh it's a future slayer i don't i don't care fuck you i don't think it's a future slayer i think it's taking place now just with the new main character and i'm sure they will explain how uh, that comes to be but uh yeah i don't know I'm kind of at the point with Buffy that I think it's probably better just to leave it alone until I'm super old and then they remake it. But See, I was thinking that until Joss Whedon signed up and now I'm like, well, I mean, Buffy, the, the show Buffy was genius and he's a big part of the reason why. So if he's yeah. back involved... Then... Just, he's just going to be an executive producer, though. And I'm sure he'll be pretty hands-on with it because that's kind of his baby but yeah, i think that was his title last time as well but, as well, but he was also a writer and he directed episodes and he yeah. was the showrunner but and i don't think he's doing all that this time well we'll see um yeah, we'll see I mean, I'll, probably, I'll watch it i'm sure but yeah enjoy it i don't i have no idea as yeah, long it's as it's horrible. not actually she's not actually called buffy because I mean, that name is kind of ridiculous anyway it really only works once it would be a bit ridiculous if just coincidentally there's another Slayer named Buffy. Yeah. And so I don't know if the show, I'm sure the show is probably going to have a different name. Yeah. I, mean, I, I have no idea. So yeah, we'll see. We'll take Buffy a wait and see approach. Vampire. Did you say Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> it, what I think will be interesting is to see how do they bring back the universe like because they can't just pick it up where it left off. I mean, mm -hmm. there isn't one yeah. Slayer anymore, right? Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting, and I think it'll be it'll depend on who's involved and whether this, the writing's good and stuff like that more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. So I think it's yeah, yeah. it's going to be a we'll see sort of scenario. Yeah. Nope. Fuck them. <laughs> Uh, then my arch nemesis Brian with an I wrote in says what what is up guys it's been a while and I know you're sad you haven't gotten much feedback lately so I'm here to fill that void 
I was absolutely elated when you said you were covering G.I. Joe and Transformers in your latest episode. And don't get me wrong, Transformers is good, but G.I. Joe is better. And this is why me and Brian are mortal enemies. Uh, I'm sure I'm in the minority with that statement, but whatever. The intro song is awesome. The Joes kick ass. And it's totally a Lovecraftian movie. It's completely bonkers, and I love it. Uh, I made a drinking game out of it. it. You should try it. So whenever the Joes yell, yo, Joe, take a drink. When Suprintor yells, this I command, or Cobra La, take a drink. When Cobra Commander insults one of his subordinates or yells, retreat, take a drink. Uh, I had five Brickstone APAs during the course of this movie. Other than that, haven't been able to watch much due to my wife. And I being blessed with the birth of our second child. Oh, well, congratulations. He's healthy. I can't believe you keep bad mouthing this guy. He's a father. Yeah. Fuck that. His kids are probably stupid, too. Uh, he's healthy. I'm just kidding, right? He's uh, <laughs> I was just, I was going to let it <laughs> that go. That was so man. harsh. I was going to let it go, and then I just, kind of felt bad about it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking, of course. Uh, he's healthy and happy. We could be more excited. Uh, we were able to catch a quiet place though, and it was fantastic. Also, took uh, our daughter to see Hotel Transylvania Three. It's stupid as shit, but it has that this charm to it that you just can't deny. Made me laugh, and it was a great time, especially since it's our daughter's first time to the theater, which she loved. Finally, also caught up with the voices. I was really surprised when Noah mentioned a couple episodes back he saw it. I'm going to echo everything he said and more. Absolutely fantastic movie. It really shows the range of Ryan Reynolds is capable of. Uh, I'm going to agree with Noah here. I thought it was just a dark comedy, but man, it really got dark and almost sad, but it's fantastic. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. All right, guys, I'm done. Keep up the outstanding work. Later. So Noah has more devotees to uh, the voices. Yay! I like the I like the part in there where he got to watch a quiet place after having a new kid because it's like baby's asleep. Watch the movie where no one's allowed to talk. That's the only <laughs> thing we can watch. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I prefer Transformers the movie over GI Joe. Because you're wrong. I think there's a silent majority out there that prefer GI Joe. Yeah. If we could force everyone to vote, I think, I think you're to to you're toy blind. You're toy blind. I say. <laughs> Alright, you got one, Doug? Yeah, we got uh, Kent also wrote in, so that'd be all of our listeners now that have Pretty sent much. us feedback this week, so can't expect any ever again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, he did put penis enlargement in the subject line, which I appreciate, because <laughs> we did complain about not getting penis enlargement <laughs> emails, so there you go. Yeah. We're so we're so out of the loop. Even even spam mail doesn't make it to us anymore. Yeah. So Ken says, uh, although he doesn't have Shutter, he likes the idea of old horror hosts returning, uh, specifically Gilbert Gottfried. And uh, he, he for some reason he thinks Gilbert Gilbert Gottfried would be up for it. I don't know why. That guy's working all the time. Um, he says, if you're not listening to the amazing Colossal podcast, you're missing out. That's Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, if anyone's ever listened to it. Uh, I have, and I was not as impressed as Ken, Aww. but whatever. Might have just been the one, the one episode I listened to might have been off or something. 
I'm sure Gilbert's crying himself to sleep on all yeah. of his Affleck money. He really, really cares what I think. Uh, Kent goes on to say, while MoviePass is still above water, I checked out a fascinating documentary called The Three Identical Strangers. I also checked that out this week. Mm -hmm. So we'll have more on that. So it's about identical triplets who didn't know about each other till they were 19 and take some interesting turns. Uh, he says he doesn't want to spoil anything, but I'm going to spoil it when I talk about it. So, Because oh. <laughs> it's, it's hard to talk about without spoiling. <laughs> uh, and he just says, he ends the email by saying, stay away from strange women with vaginas in their armpits. <laughs> I think that's oh. just a lesson everybody can live by. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I'm going to set that up on my work email as just something that you know, what do you call it? This the subscript that just pops into the bottom of everyone. It's gonna be your signature. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, this this is a motto I live by, everybody, and you should too. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So I can just start talking about three identical strangers. So yeah, go for it. Because it's a, it was a pretty interesting documentary. Um, it's it starts out. It's about these like this guy like goes away to college and everybody there seems to know who he is because it turns out his twin brother went to that college the year before and like they're they were both put up for adoption so they didn't know they had a twin brother and so they meet up and they just somebody one of their friends decides to tell the local newspaper it ends up becoming a front page story third guy sees a picture of two of himself on the front page and it turns out there was these three guys separated at birth put up for adoption, didn't know each other existed. They're now, I think they're 19 and they get to know each other and they become little like mini celebrities. And this is all a true story. And they have footage of them from back in the eighties, like partying at club 54 and they showed up in like a Madonna video or something. And they opened their own restaurant, like called the triplets or something like that. And they became these like celebrities. They were on all the talk shows and everything. And they, the, the way it was portrayed was that, okay, they were raised completely separate. But, you know, they started, they had all these weird similarities. Like they all smoked and they all smoked the same brand and things like that. Right. So, it, and naturally, when they went on the talk shows, they'd all be wearing the same outfit and they'd be trying to play it up, you know. Um, and so it's like, it's a fun little feel good story. And you get to see like all of them. Uh, you see them, you get to see all this weird footage of them. And it's, all, it's from the 80s. So it's hilarious to watch because they all have like, these white boy afros and stuff. And uh, it's a nice heartfelt story, but but is it? No, because <laughs> then the then the story takes a big twist. Um, because they start talking to some of the parents, and you realize that none of the parents were informed of the fact that there were triplets out there either. And then it's they sort of draw their attention back to who the families are, which been given this information but it doesn't necessarily sink in and they're like oh look it's a poor family a middle class family and a rich family that's a weird coincidence that one kid ended up in each and the reveal starts to come out that basically they may have been intentionally separating identical twins at birth and giving them out to different families to basically experiment on them and they were telling the families that hey we got to come by and monitor the kid to make sure that they're progressing well it's a normal part of the adoption process or whatever but really they were studying them and not telling them 
that they were part of a study and they did not have consent from the birth mother or the adoptive parents. And then things start to get kind of nasty because then it's revealed that there are other groups of people out there doing the same thing. And oh, look, many of the mothers involved who put the kids up for adoption, like the birth mothers, had mental problems of different kinds. And so not only were these doctors separating these kids at birth without the consent of the birth mother or the parents who were doing the adoption, not only were they running an experiment on these kids' lives, but putting them in, intentionally putting them in like different households to see how they'd progress, but they were also monitoring them to see if some of these mental health problems might be passed on genetically. And again, not giving any of the parents involved a heads up that, you know, hey, we think your kid might have a mental health problem that could be inherited. We're not going to give you a heads up about that when you adopt him. So good luck dealing with that if it comes up. <laughs> and it's like, it gets, it's just really dark. It's just this, like, this is, so these guys would have been up for, been put up for adoption in like the 60s in the US. Like you wouldn't think be experimenting on human beings without consent right and it's all of a sudden it's they go to the one guy the guy that was raised by like a in the blue collar household and let's just say he speaks uh, a little more frankly than the other guys involved in the documentary <laughs> and it's like they go to him and they get to that part of the story where they're like yeah so like you were intentionally separated and they've discussed the fact that all three kids after being separated had this tendency to like bang their heads against the side of the cribs and stuff and they the theory that they can come up with is like probably the first you know couple of weeks of their life they were in a crib with two other babies and all of a sudden they were by themselves they were probably suffering from some sort of separation anxiety um but yeah they get to this guy and he just kind of looks in the camera and he goes this is like this is like nazi shit right and as an audience i'm sitting there going wait He's, it is. It's fucking crazy that in the United States in the 60s and up through to like the latter 70s, they were just studying these people without like, first of all, like they're, the risks associated with like letting people with potential mental health problems be adopted and not giving the parents a heads up. Mm-hmm. And there are, they're, 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 I won't fully spoil it, there are some results from that that are not happy. And they... And just just the idea of experimenting on human beings without their permission seems wrong and icky, and I don't like it. <laughs> and this documentary that made me happy in the beginning because I got to laugh at people from the 80s made me sad at the end. <laughs> so it's a pretty interesting story. Um, and yeah, it was just weird because they, they're interviewing with some of the research assistants and stuff that are were involved, and it's weird to hear these people talk like the one lady is talking about how maybe they should because there's still sets of twins out there that were put through this that don't know about each other oh, and Jesus. you're like the one lady's like well why would you tell them it's just going to make them really unhappy and i'm like well the fuck is wrong with you like that's not an okay thing to say well, so that's not for you to decide yeah like it's so it's it's just a weird it's just a weird twist and it's like I don't know. Like so, I, would, I went into it blind and was not expecting the, that there was an actual mad scientist in the movie. <laughs> I will. 
I will say a thing, and I'm not saying that I agree with this thing, but it's a thing. The specific type of experiment they were doing, you cannot do that experiment, and you cannot get honest results if anyone involved knows. I agree with that. And I'm not saying it's okay. No, I I agree with what you're saying, I just... And and then uh, you don't do that experiment. Well... But 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 is that the truth? So, it, 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 I, the only reason why I'm bringing it up is philosophy and specifically like ethics and uh, and uh, epistemology are like my favorite fucking things in the world, and it gets real fucking complicated. So a lot of the greatest advancements in uh, healthcare and science and drugs and all this kind of stuff have come out of these monstrous, horrible experiments. So it gets to this weird fucking point of utilitarianism versus a lot of other things. Does it justify doing terrible fucking things? In which, arguably, something like that. So, really, the only terrible thing they did, from what my perspective is, is they did not tell those children that they had brothers. I, I think that's fucking weird. Now, they also didn't give the adoptive parents a heads up that there may be mental health issues. They didn't notify the birth mother that if she put the kids up for adoption, they'd be separated. Well, and, and once again, and I think that's, see, in this particular scenario, I'm not, once again, I'm not going to say they're justified because the problem is you're testing, they're testing multiple variables at the same time and that's not a good fucking experiment. So, so it's impossible for them to justify doing what they did for a good experiment when they're already doing a bad experiment by testing more than one thing at a time. Because you can't do that because all the data is corrupted. How, how do you know if... Uh, developments affected by your social standing if you're also mixing in like mental health issues and a whole bunch of other shit you know what i mean you're like fucking the pot all up by doing that you can only test that, that might be why that it. might be why this, the study's never been published that might be the problem yeah yeah that's it like i said monsters but i'm saying a lot of people look at this and they're like this is this is such a horrible thing they did but you're like it's horrible but if they had done it right it might have given us a lot of information that we could have used, but instead they did it shitty yeah. and ruined a bunch of people's lives. And, and there's still people out there whose lives were probably ruined. And, At a bare minimum, they had a major impact on people's lives without those people or the, or the guardians of those people getting a say in it, which is not appropriate. Yeah. So I'm, well, yeah. well, like I said, it's interesting because, like I said, you can't do it without it. So you, you give the kid to the poor family you can't look at the poor family and go, okay, we're doing an experiment. We're giving you this child because you're poor. And we want to see if your poorness ruins this child's life. (laughs) Because that parent is not going to raise the child the same way they would if they hadn't been told that. Right. But I mean, the whole thing is, the whole thing is fucked because, okay, so you different, like not all poor people raise their kids the same. Right? Like, obviously, social standing is a factor in your being raised, but, you know, it, there's a lot of other factors. There, there are a lot of factors, which means the only way to weed them out would be to do this test on an even 
more massive scale with more children. <laughs> Which, once again, you get deeper, deeper into that fucking icky mess of, okay, well, uh, this is really fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. And that's why you're really not supposed to experiment on humans. Well, but once, once again, like, vaccines and stuff, vaccines wouldn't exist if there weren't fucking Nazis sticking people with needles. <laughs> like, that's that's the true story. I'm not saying it's justified, it's monstrous what they did, but... <laughs> at the same time, how would we have ever got to where we are without some fucking monster doing something monstrous? It's just a fun... It's a fun experiment try to do in your head to try to justify you're like okay the horrible experiment was very bad for x amount of people but because of that eight million children didn't die before the age of four is it now justified <laughs> yeah but i don't think there's any justifying well i don't we're getting into an ethical debate we're supposed to be talking about movies well, I, I'm just bringing it up because it's, it's relevant to this movie. That's that's the whole thing. Sure, yeah. And go, okay, well, this is real fucked up. But I also feel like they do it from a... It sounds like they especially did it from a perspective of they don't really give you an adequate justification of the thought process of the monsters. Well, because the... Yeah, the head experimenter is, has passed. Yeah. It locked up his research at Yale University with like a I don't know how it works but it's like it can't be released until a certain date and that date is like way in the future no I'm sure so it's like a it, it's a weird thing like that is a, like a kind of a side part to the end of the movie is that it's these guys actually trying to get the data that's about them and people saying no you can't have it and it's like yeah. but I'm the subject of the experiment I should be allowed to see that it's you know, that's a that's a separate problem. Yeah. That's where we get into a, a criticism of bureaucracy, right? Or anything else? And I, and I also find it interesting that people look at something like this and they're like, "Oh my God, they separated triplets without telling them! How could this happen in America? America poisoned an entire town on purpose for it's an experiment. Weird. An entire town. They poisoned an entire town. <laughs> if you don't believe me, type in." entire town poisoned for experiment. Or just go to Flint, Michigan and drink a glass of water. I'm not talking about Flint. I'm talking about it was back in like the 1950s in California and it it's like a fucking horror show. It'll like blow your mind. You're like, what in the sweet who the fuck said this was okay? Yeah. And I guess yeah, I guess like the world's just a shittier place than we like to think it is. And worse things are happening than we like to think are happening. So there's that. All right, now that we're all sad, what else did you watch? <laughs> uh, well, to cheer things up, I watched a cartoon. I watched uh, Justice League Dark. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a cartoon specifically designed to not cheer you up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, pretty good. DC does way better in the animated movies than they do in the real movies. Yeah. Um, so, like, have you either you guys seen this one or read anything? No, but I want to because uh, I do like the fact that DC or whoever's in charge of some of the DC stuff is like, look, uh, Matt Ryan, uh, we kind of fucked up by canceling your show, Constantine. 
So if you ever want to voice the character for the cartoons, uh, we, you have an open door. And we'll also throw you on Legends tomorrow every now and then. How about that? And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so that makes me happy for him. And you know I got this on Blu-ray, son. You know? <laughs> Swamp Bang. Swamp Bang. That was one of my disappointing things. The Swamp Thing doesn't play a big enough role in it for my liking. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a neat story. People start going nuts and killing each other. The Justice League doesn't know what to do about it. They're trying to convince Batman that it might be magical. He's acting like there's no way it could be. But very shortly after there, he's contacting magical people and being like, what are we going to do about this? And he sort of puts together a team that uh, goes off in search of the problem. I won't get into every little detail, but it's yeah, it's pretty good. There's decent acting. The, game, the animation's good. Um, the story ends up being a bit complicated if you're not a comic book nerd. So there's like a lot of the secondary characters that show up. It's like, I don't know who that is. And I feel like I'm supposed to know who that is. Not a, not a, not a scholar on Felix Faust, are you? Yeah, I, see, I am not. I'm aware he's in this movie. I can tell you that much about him. That's, but yeah, no, there, and there was, there was a number of characters where I'm like, am I supposed to know who this guy is? Because they're not introducing him. And then there's like one or two that they actually go through an introduction for and I'm like, oh good, nobody else knew either. But <laughs> it's not distracting from the movie. You've still got like Batman as one of your central characters, so everybody can kind of relate back to Batman. Um, and yeah, it was I had really high hopes for it and I don't think I like, I think my hopes were unrealistically high, but halfway through the movie I was like kind of disappointed in it. And then I just was like, wait, you're watching a cartoon about superheroes. <laughs> Turn your brain off. Stop wishing this is like a giant epic movie and just enjoy the story that they're telling you. And it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, there's a while in DC where they decided to split up the Justice League into like multiple groups for some reason. Uh, and they decided they needed a magical Justice League, so they made Justice League Dark, all the magic characters. Um, and then there was talk for a while that uh, Guillermo del Toro may do a live-action version of it, the DC's little movie first. Yeah. And, of course, that ended up not happening, nor will it happen, at least not with del Toro. Yeah, that's, that's disappointing because he could tackle some of this stuff pretty good. But... Yeah, I would love to see him do a Swamp Thing movie. But then again, he's signed on for about 84,000 movies now, so yeah. most of what he says he's going to do is never going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, my, my only complaint about Justice League Dark was they powered down a couple characters, and then for some reason they decided to way fucking power up John Constantine. Like, John Constantine in the comic books is not a spell-slinging mega-sorcerer like he is in that cartoon. He's, okay. a, he's an occultist. It's like it's a different... He, he's a badass, and he's awesome. That's just... He's not fucking doing all this crazy super magic like he is in that. Okay, see, I'm not really familiar with that character, so I didn't, I never got around to watching the new show before it got cancelled. His his superpower is being a super bastard. <laughs> Pretty much. It's weird how little the cartoon version of him looks like Keanu Reeves, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> if you want to make a comic book nerd angry, just say that out loud at a convention. <laughs> That's why I did it. <laughs> 
screams. <laughs> Simply just poking at people because it's fun. But yeah, it's, it, that one's a recommend for me if you like those animated comic book movies. It's an interesting one to tackle, and it's rated R, so you get like blood and swearing. So that's always fun. Have you watched uh, Assault on Arkham yet? Uh, yeah, a while ago, and I was sort of falling asleep while I watched it, so I don't have much to say about it. I wouldn't recommend I, it, just because it's very heisty. Yeah, I should go back and watch it again when I'm able to pay attention. It's, I see. I like I like the animated stuff so much more than their uh, movie stuff because they don't pretend that uh, their audience isn't their audience is. Like you were talking about how they don't bother to explain every fucking character. Yeah. Which which is awesome because then they can put more shit in the movie because they don't take 20 minutes to give a fucking origin story to every goddamn person who walks on the screen. You don't okay. need to know Tarantula's fucking origin story. Nobody gives Calm a shit. Down. Calm down. Did you watch Suicide Squad again? Is that what happened? <laughs> it sounds like you're complaining about Suicide Squad. I mean, they fucked up Killer Croc. How do you do that? He's a big crocodile man. Goddamn <laughs> I'm lucky that fucking Shazam trailer's really good. <laughs> it's not that good. It's really good. Um, it's it's kind of good. Yeah, it gets better than I expected. But how many yeah. how many Captain Marvel comic books have you read? Uh, I've read quite a few, and I agree that I think that they <laughs> stop it. I, I agree. I think they actually have a movie that seems like the soul of the source material is actually represented pretty well which is weird for to say about dc movies um but i was never like a huge captain marvel fan so i just i think i like i like what he represents in the comic books and i feel like they're catching that in the the movie which is something that dc hasn't managed to do with a single fucking character since they started making movies yeah, but it's getting to that point with the DC universe that it's like, okay, so this might be the best DC movie, but how how much of an accomplishment is that? Like, well, and then also, how much does that help their expanded universe or whatever the fuck they're calling it? Oh, I'm not, I refuse to learn the name of it. It's yeah. too hard. Just well, dropped a uh, Spectre short cartoon in the uh, chat window. Yeah, it's so good. It's, it's pretty awesome if you want to watch it. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're just going to all watch the video now and react. No, no, no. I'm but, just saying, after we're done with the show. Is I think, so I, th- I think they, they nailed Shazam, and I think it's going to be really, really good. But I'm worried that DC's going to do what DC has done a bunch of times, and that's learn the wrong fucking lesson. Like, just completely ignore their, like, hmm, everybody really liked this one. Could it be because we, we captured the intent and soul of the comic book? No, it's because it's all bright and sunny. Make all the characters bright and sunny. Just, it just, we'll put the other movie in and just turn up the brightness on the television for a little while, and everybody will like it then. It helps. A little oh, bit. Well. Did you watch anything else, Doug? Um, nothing else new, but I got a couple of rewatches in. It was a long weekend here, so that uh, that niece I have that I'm always introducing to horror movies came over, <laughs> and I made her sit down and watch Deep Blue Sea. Nice, and that movie's amazing. And it's like everything you could ever say negative about a movie is one hundred percent correct to say about it. And it's still awesome. 
It's just so fucking good. Rennie Harlan is like a genius when it comes to making <laughs> certain types of movies. And I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's like what Michael Bay is trying to do when he makes big, nonsensical movies, but he just fails at it. And Rennie Harlan pulls it off. And when he's on his game, you know, he really pulls it off. And I don't know really super smart sharks that not only are, are, can like swim backwards because of how much smarter they are, doesn't make any sense, and also understand the engineering well enough to flood certain parts of that, like whatever lab they're in, just to have it sink the right way. I mean, doesn't make any sense, right? No matter how much smarter you get, you're not going to understand engineering unless you go to engineering school, but these, smart, these sharks are the best, so. Well, maybe it's like the Matrix. They just uploaded it into their brain when they made them smarter. Maybe. But then Samuel L. Jackson totally gets eaten by a shark and it's awesome. <laughs> that was like the highlight of showing it to like a kid for the first time. She, cause she was just completely caught off guard by it. <laughs> and I was like loving that. Uh, see that scene, because I hadn't seen Deep Blue Sea at that point. That scene though was ruined for me by the Clerks cartoon. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They just kept having the Samuel Jackson like character in the background getting eaten by a shark throughout one episode. <laughs> I love I that like, cartoon. I was like, oh, that must be from Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> that must have been that must have been really disappointing because I remember the first time watching that scene. Like, I think it was like whenever Deep Blue Sea came out on DVD. I guess it was like it's like a really fun moment like one of those like stand up and cheer type moments he's giving that like big speech so yeah anyways LL Cool J's in it it's awesome <laughs> like if you told me that one of my favorite movies of all time would involve LL Cool J arguing with a parrot I would probably have called you an asshole but here we are this <laughs> I love this movie that's nice uh watch what else did you watch the other the other rewatch was child's play part three all right i i do not think that movie gets enough respect i think it's a very acceptable sequel when it comes to being a slasher i think it knows exactly how cheesy it's being and it plays right into it my favorite moment of the whole movie is when they're walking through the woods and they stop and i don't remember what the exact dialogue is but they look over the hill and they see like a an amusement park in the background and i like the dialogue is something to the effect of hey that would be a cool spot for a a, a, a climax to this movie that we're in and the other guy says i wonder which one of those rides i'll have to fight my old doll on and it's just it's just it's just literally just them going like look over there look at that we'll go there later it's every bit as obvious as the uh, as the crossbow window shopping scene in savage streets it's, but in my opinion, handled better. And yeah, I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for Chucky walking around killing people. So yeah, me too. I haven't seen part three in forever though. It's like I think the first three I think hold up a lot better than people expect them to. Mm. And then the other one, it, there's just that sudden tonal shift after three that is hard to explain. Yeah. Luckily, it's only for two movies. Yeah, and then they go back to being awesome. That's I guess there's my follow up question. Obviously, I'm not going to show a seat of Chucky to a nine year old because I'm just not going to answer those kinds of questions. Um, what about Bride? Is it appropriate considering I showed her one, two, three in Deep Blue Sea? And 
Well, don't they have uh, doll sex in that one? Uh, that's a good point. And she's like, do you have a rubber? And he's like, baby, I'm all rubber. It's a solid point. I don't know <laughs> if I want to get to those questions either. <laughs> I'll distract her with leprechaun movies next time I need to <laughs> over. There you go. That's a good plan. Uh, what did you watch, Noah? Uh, not much. Uh, the only real thing that I sat down and watched quite a bit of is I watched the first several episodes of uh, The Staircase, mm-hmm. which is a docu-series about, uh, I can't remember what the author's name, but the one who was accused of pushing his, or beating his wife to death and then making it as an accident of her falling down the stairs. And basically, it's a docu-series that follows the entire uh, legal process of him getting accused and them coming up with their defense and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's a really fucking interesting dive into stuff. Because there's a lot of stuff that's so fishy that you're like, okay, well, there's a good chance he's guilty. But when you're watching the legal system that close can see all the shady shit that the prosecutors are doing <laughs> and you're kind of like well even if he's guilty he's not getting a fair trial these guys are fucking pieces of shit you know what I mean but we'll have to, I'll have to write it out to the end because it's it's a fascinating thing I'm not usually a true crime guy but this one's got my attention and it's interesting they keep updating it like every couple years it seems like too uh, we started watching it and then I made it fall asleep during the second episode. So I stopped watching it because, you know, I know she wanted to see it and then we just haven't gone back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Once the, uh, once you get into the trial and the trial starts in like, you see the way that the judge is kind of like fucking them on stuff where there's some evidence that they're arguing shouldn't be admitted and they're trying to get it thrown out before the trial starts because they're like just by introducing the evidence is going to bias the jury so fucking bad because they're not going to understand it and they're going to assume it's this other thing and the judge just refuses to listen to him so of course the first thing that happens is the jury shows up and they're like oh this piece of evidence you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> and you're like oh shit they're right like that's totally fucking ridiculous it should be a mistrial right there but just interesting i I like stuff that shows that close of a look on uh, the legal process, but man, it makes you sick once you see it up close. Have you have you watched Making a Murderer? I have not. Uh, you should, because you get the same like, what the fuck? Why was that allowed to happen? Sort of thing through the entire thing. Yeah, uh, the part in Making a Murderer that blew my mind was when you have two guys accused of the same crime. And the same prosecutor is going to two different courtrooms and arguing a different series of events occurred. And both guys get convicted beyond a reasonable doubt of what they did. But they were they were told they, they're convicted of doing different things. It doesn't make any sense. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. And it's like, how is that? I don't even understand how that's legal. And I don't understand why. Like, I don't, how? I guess the prosecutors are thinking, okay, this guy's a criminal whatever gets them put away we can we'll do but it uh, kind of blows yeah. my mind that you would 
that you would do that, that you would go into two different rooms and argue two different sets of facts. Yeah. Yeah, there's it in staircase one of the pieces of evidence they bring in so they never found a murder weapon which is one of the big things about he's probably innocent there's no murder weapon they searched the whole house they searched the crowd nobody ever found this thing that they're claiming he hit her over the head with and then doing their research they found out that there was do you guys know what a fireplace blower is a yeah. blower poker the hollow ones that are real lightweight well, apparently, like 10 years ago, one of their aunts gave them one as a present, and that was never located. So they're saying that's the murder weapon. This thing that they haven't known where it was for 10 years is the murder weapon. But those things are light. It would be like trying to beat someone to death with like an aluminum curtain rod. <laughs> like, it's not going to do anything. It's just going to bend. Like, it, it just wouldn't work. But one of the pieces of evidence they bring in is another one of those covered in fake blood, which they put out on a table and they keep saying, this is the murder weapon. This isn't the real murder weapon, you know, but this is a facsimile of what the murder weapon would be if there was a murder weapon. And it's like, how the fuck on earth is that allowed in a court? That's like, it's silly. They might as well be bringing in, like, a painted picture of the murder scene and being like, see this picture of the murder scene? It's real. It's not real, but it's real. Admit this into evidence. This is a painting of what we think happened. Yeah. That does seem pretty fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to get back on it. We've been watching Jessica Jones, though, so we're kind of trying to get through that. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. That's pretty much all I've watched in this very time. Uh, see, I watched a couple things. Uh, I watched a movie called Threads. Has anybody seen this movie? It's a British movie. Sounds familiar, but I don't think so. Uh, did either one of you see The Day After? The American movie about what would happen after a nuclear bomb went off? Yes. So that's, that's like an older one? Yeah, it's from like 70s, the early 80s. 80s. Yeah. yeah, yes, I've seen that, but it's been a while. Okay, this is basically the British version of that. Apparently it was uh, broadcast on the BBC like back in the early 80s. Um, and so it's basically a realistic take on what would happen if a uh, nuclear war broke out. And... The whole first half of the movie is just people doing day-to-day -day stuff. Um, and so there's like this guy and this girl who are in a relationship and it turns out she's pregnant. So they're kind of trying to like, okay, well, we need to get married and whatever. Uh, shows like a family, just sort of the stuff they're going through. And throughout all of this, the background, you keep hearing about tensions between the U.S. and Russia are, you know, getting to a boiling point and stuff. And then, uh, essentially, a nuclear bomb goes off outside of Sheffield, uh, which is where this takes place. And so then they just sort of, through the last half of the movie, walk you through what would happen after a nuclear bomb went off. And to say this is a feel-good movie would be a complete and utter lie. Uh, so they show how, like, the way the system's set up, they wouldn't release, like, food till after, like, two weeks after sort of all this stuff happened. 
So people would essentially be on their own. Um, uh, it pretty much showed like people on the street who were caught out in the blast were basically just instantly set on fire. Uh, the people who did survive, a lot of them end up succumbing to radiation poisoning. Although I will say I do think it's a little a little light on how bad the radiation poisoning would affect just about everybody. Um, and then uh, they kind of try to show like how nuclear winter would set in. So nothing, of course, the, the sun would be blocked out. Like nothing would really grow very well. And then, of course, there's just raving bands of people killing each other for food and supplies. So yeah, it's uh, it's a good time. Uh, good time makes you feel super great about about the the entire world and how we have to have nuclear weapons. So pretty much does what it's supposed to. Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking for something to get me laughing, so I'll <laughs> check that out. Uh, some of the interesting stuff, though, is the uh, they show how um, how at least at that point in the eighties their system was set up that if there was nuclear war how like the government would sort of break down to um, in situations like that there are people that are already like in place so like whatever they're elected to in their counties or towns or whatever that since pretty much all communication would be knocked out at that point um there are people who are responsible for uh, sort of being the leader of whatever group that they're at and how all that stuff breaks down. Um, and they do show this one guy who basically gets, sort of gets noticed that this may be happening like soon. And so him and a bunch of other people that are sort of in charge go to these underground bunker and they're basically just sitting there waiting for this to happen. Of course, without telling anybody. So, it's just interesting how, how sort of all that plays out, and sort of how they're trying to decide. Well, I mean, do we release food early? But if we release food early, then people who are already going to die from radiation poisoning will eat some of the food, so other people won't get food. So, is that fair? Should we actually not release food for like an additional two weeks, just to just to kind of push that off? And just sort of how all that stuff plays out. It's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's depressing. Um, let's see. The other thing I watched is the 80s movie Leviathan. Okay. Which I have never seen before. And it's one of those that I know the artwork for it. Walked past it many times in the video store back in the day just never for some reason just never watched it i don't think and, i've ever seen that one either all right well the best way i can describe it is sort of like the thing but takes place underwater so it's set in the somewhat i think it's 2027 is when it's supposed to be set and they are mining silver from the ocean floor. And so they have like this underwater sort of like little encampment set up. And apparently uh, 
the crew gets rotated out every 90 days. So you go down there and work for 90 days, and then they come swap you out, and then some other crew comes in. Um, and Peter Weller, uh, Robocop himself, is a geologist who they sort of send down to sort of be in charge of everything. They do comment this is the first time they've done this and just how this sort of plays out. And we're only getting caught up in like the last week that they have before they're rotated out. Um, Daniel Stern plays one of the uh, one of the crew, which I thought was interesting. Um, and uh, they stumble upon a sunken ship, and they find like this big old safe and stuff in it. So they sort of uh, plunder it. Um, Daniel Stern specifically, because he's kind of an asshole in this movie. And it turns out after reviewing some of the logs and stuff that there may have been some weird, like, uh, contagion on board. And so now they're worried that whatever was on it may infect the, the rest of the crew. So then it becomes sort of uh, like a paranoia type thing. All uh, of the thing. And, of course, it turns out there's something that turns people into monsters. So, first time watch for me, uh, I gotta say, this movie was fucking awesome. I am super disappointed I have not watched it up to this point. Like, I just absolutely loved it. Uh, like I said, they're all stuck on this. Uh, it's even more isolating, sort of like how the thing is, how they're in Antarctica. And this is like, they're like 16,000 feet below the surface of the ocean. So they literally cannot go anywhere until this uh, pickup is coming from whatever uh, unnamed company that is. It's coming to swap them out. And so they literally just have to sort of last through uh, this time period or whatever. Uh, yeah. I loved it. High recommend for me. First time yeah. watch. Levi so. Leviathan was an unlucky movie. Yeah. Because they made a really, really fucking great movie that happened to have an underwater sci-fi horror theme to it. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened to come out the same fucking year as The Abyss. And yeah. The Abyss blew it so far out of the fucking water that nobody ever saw it. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because the way they shot all the underwater stuff is they just shot it dry like they just shot it on a sound stage and had them in these like big like uh, diving suits almost like a diving suit mixed with the uh, uh, what the fuck is that thing the, the forklift suit from aliens so it's like kind of a combo between those things and so then they just blew some like dust into the air so it looked like there's just like particles in, like in the water and stuff and it's not 100% effective but, I mean, for the idea, I'm just like, wow, I think they pulled that off, like, pretty well. Um, but, yeah, then, like you said, the Abyss came out, and it's just, like, you know, groundbreaking special effects underwater. Right. It looks like shit. Uh, but, I mean, it's got monsters in it and stuff, and I thought it was super awesome. So, if you have not watched Leviathan, I would highly recommend it. Um yeah, I loved it. Like I said, I was disappointed that I had not watched it up to this point. Yeah, I gotta put that one on my watch list. 
Yeah, it's good. The ending's a little hokey, but I mean, you know, it's a 1989 monster movie, so yeah. kind of go with it. If I would have uh, known you guys hadn't seen it, we could have thrown it on the list with uh, Deep Star 6. That's true. I think I saw that, but I, it's, I saw that when I was like 10, so I have no idea what even that movie's about at this point. Crab monsters? Yeah. Um, and then uh, the last thing I saw, which I won't have to talk about too much, is the theater here was showing Big Trouble in Little China on the big screen. So I pretty much told everybody, on this date, I am busy, so don't expect to hang out with me on this date because I will be going to the theater to see Big Trouble in Little China on the big screen. And uh, con my, not con, but told my friend Wes and he came with me. Um, God, that movie's so fucking awesome. Like I said, after after it was over, I'm just like, this movie, I've seen it like a hundred times and I feel like it just gets better like every time I watch it. Yeah, I think you can appreciate that movie more when you watch, when you see it more. Mm, so good. I'm just I was sitting there just excited and happy the whole time. Then uh, people behind me, I think there might have been a couple people who had never seen it before. Maybe their friends like made them go with them, but they were like having a blast. They were laughing at all the great parts. The a lot of people started applauding when the credits rolled. So. Yeah. If you get just the right crowd for a movie like that, too, it can really increase the experience. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, uh, I already loved that movie, but it just made me love it even more to see it, like, in a theater with, with a bunch of people. Uh, almost makes me want to go watch it again. Uh, and then Noah found out today that our drive-in's going to be doing their Dust Till Dawn horror, horror, uh, horror night. And they've only announced two of the movies so far. And the very first movie is The Thing. So I know I'm planning on I'm going to be at the drive-in on I'm the 22nd so of September. I'm stoked to see The Thing in the drive-in. That's going to be fucking yeah. awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, so lots of cool stuff. I know tomorrow, uh, I can't go now because my brother's going to be in town. But... Um, Theater about 45 minutes away is showing the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan the Barbarian on the big screen. <sighs> now I'm out of my brother because he, uh, he's like, hey, I'm going to bring the kids over. And I'm just like, son of a bitch. I completely forgot that Conan was this weekend. How dare you? Just just go to the movie. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Bring your children. They need to learn how to drink a vulture's blood to survive. <laughs> I wonder if he may be gone in enough time because I don't think the movie starts till 10. So maybe I can still make it. We'll see. Uh, keep the kids up late and show them Conan. What's the problem? <laughs> well, no, my brother will go home and take his kids with him. I'm just hoping it's before like 9 o'clock so then I can just zoom over to to uh, the movie theater. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> this feels like the end <laughs> of an 80s comedy. You're just going to be racing towards the theater trying to get there in time. Yeah. They just keep stopping me. I'm just like, no, I need to make it to the theater. You understand. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Um, all right, Noah, since you picked the movies for next week, you want to tell everybody what we're doing? Uh, yeah, we are doing some uh, Ralph Bakshi movies. We're going to do uh, the amazingly twisted and 
fucking inappropriate for the rating wizards and the delightfully rotoscoped uh, Lord of the Rings. I love rotoscope. <laughs> Spoiler alert for next week's review. Yeah. Rotoscope. Me and Dog were like, yeah, I've never watched a single Ralph Bakshi movie. Have you guys no, ever uh, seen a rotoscope movie? I've seen Lord of the Rings. Okay. I mean, I watched He Man. Some of that stuff's rotoscoped. Yeah, rotoscope. Uh. Yeah. That's a little preview for what listeners can hear next week. You're no hour of that. Do you, you know what's going to happen? We're going to come back next week, and you guys aren't going to like boxing movies, and I'm going to like scream and throw things across the room. That's why we're recording different houses. Safety reasons. Can't handle it. Uh, so I got to tell you about this dream I had last night that I <laughs> almost forgot about, and I when I woke up, I'm like, I have to remember this. And I almost forgot about it until right before we recorded. Um, so in this dream, I don't know how it got started, but somehow me and Amanda were almost coerced into moving into a neighborhood that was an exact replica of the neighborhood from Mama's family. <laughs> and the whole thing was run very Stepford Wives. Where there was just something weird and off, and we couldn't figure it out, and I'm just like, all these like characters are here and stuff, and they're just acting weird, and it's almost just like a, uh, like yes, you will, you want to live in our neighborhood, and we're just like no, because this is messed up, and so we're trying to figure out figure out a way to escape from this neighborhood, while trying <laughs> trying to stay away from characters from Mama's family. It was so. I woke up and went, "What the fuck was that all about?" You quit eating before you go to bed. I guess so. It's like a weird story to just tell us out of nowhere. <laughs> well, I felt like I'm just going somewhere. No, I figure that's... out what reaction is appropriate. That was pretty much it. I'm just like, one. just imagine stumbling upon a neighborhood that's a Stepford Wives replica of Mama's family. I don't want to imagine that. Sounds unpleasant. <laughs> it was weird. I didn't want to go to the bigger jigger. Okay, then. Fine. You don't enjoy my dream stories. I won't share with you anymore. I'm not saying it was a bad one. It was just, <laughs> just oddly placed. <laughs> I thought you were going to end it with, like, and then all of a sudden it was all animated, rotoscoped. I predicted the future. Give me your goddamn rotoscope. Fuck you, love rotoscope. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.